0: There are principles in the Word of God that very clearly lay out for you things that you must do and know in order to win every faith battle that you're in. Have you ever seen it? When you pray, you believe that you receive. And I'm telling you, when you say, amen, when you say, so be it unto me, and you get up or get out of your chair or open your eyes, that is when your faith battle begins, And your faith battle ends in victory when you see what you received when you prayed in this physical realm, right? But from that, let's say when you pray, from the time you believe you receive until the time that you have, that is where the faith battle is. And that's, you know, have you ever noticed the enemy really doesn't care if you pray? You just... Usually, you have to fight your flesh to pray, but he never, he doesn't care. But oh, when you get up from prayer, he starts working. He starts throwing thoughts. He starts doing his thing, his deception. And what he's trying to do is get your eyes off Jesus. He wants to to make you believe that God's not with you, that you don't have what you have, that you won't get what you've asked him for, right? He, he'll, he'll say that, that uh, well, God's allowing some of these things in your life, and he'll go through all kinds of things. Well, as you get in this, sometimes, because we know that time tests faith, sometimes, because see, the Bible is kind of vague on it. The Bible just says you believe you receive and you'll have. It doesn't say you'll have in two weeks or you'll have the next day. And sometimes, have you ever prayed, you believe you receive, and it's like almost instant, you have it. Then the next time, you're just so excited because you just think, oh, this is great. Just believe I receive, and then I see it in this realm, just no problem. And then all of a sudden, four months go by. And every day on those four months, you're going, what? What's going on? Right? He'll throw thoughts to try to get you to say, well, maybe this isn't working, which is impossible. Because the word always works, if you'll work it. And Satan knows this. So we need to talk about principles so that we ensure that you can always win every faith battle. And this is what I mean by that. See, when you lose a faith battle, what you do... See, faith, it, it doesn't ever lose. So you have to get out of faith to lose the battle. So if this is what, when you pray, you believe that you receive it. And see, now I believe that I have already received something that my senses are telling me that I don't have. Because I can't see it, I can't feel it, right? I should say that about 20 times. I can't feel it, because don't we want to feel it, right? And so, but I have it, even though I can't see it, what, what is my title deed that I have it? My faith. Well, what is my faith based on? Well, if God said he gave it to me, then it's done. Does that make sense? So how you lose a faith battle is you get out of faith, and this is what it looks like. You let it go. Now, here's the good news. Satan will tell you if you ever, because see, you sit under the word, under the anointing, so you, all of a sudden, if you've let something go, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not letting that go. Then he'll try to tell you, well, you need to go all the way back to square one and believe God all those months, when no, all you need to do is just, you know, you just bend over, pick it up, and you keep going. Amen. Right? He's always lying. But there are things that you must know in order to win every faith battle. You ha- and tonight, we're going to talk about the first one. We're going to take our time. Because number one, you need to know your enemy. Now you're all sitting there going, okay, well, we could have stayed home and relaxed a little bit, because we know our enemy Satan. No, I didn't say you need to know who your enemy is. You need to know him. How he operates, how he comes, what he does. The Bible doesn't say hardly anything about Satan. I think that's hilarious. Because he is a defeated foe. But it does tell us exactly how he operates. So that we're never caught off guard. If you study Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God literally puts you in a position to, to see. It's like gives you an aerial view and you could see him coming from far away gets you totally ready for it. But tonight we're going to talk about knowing your enemy. Now, I got to tell you there's a lot of people in the body of Christ. This is a this is hard for me to even say this, but it is a predominant doctrine in the church today that you know the that God allows Satan, he kind of uses Satan to teach his kids. You have movie after movie that where people are screaming, pastors in their pulpits screaming, God, why did you do this to me? Right? Now these are people that don't even know who their enemy is. Why don't they know who he is? Because they don't know how he operates. So we're going to talk about this because the Bible is very, very clear on some things. So go to uh, Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, we're going to look at verse 10. Hallelujah. This will be really good. There are some principles in the Word of God that the Lord has just released me to teach for us right now. It'll help all of us. We're going to believe Him for revelation, believe Him for utterance. We're going to believe him for the anointing to lift burdens and destroy yokes of bondage and dispel lies and bring clarity so that you will win your faith battle. Right? Isaiah 41, verse 10, it says this, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Wow. See, it's impossible... To fear when you cast your care upon the Lord. Fear not because I'm with you. All you have to know in your faith battle is God's with you. That's all you have to know. Because that means you have the victory already. It says be not dismayed. Don't be dismayed. This means don't be beaten down broken down because you're confused do you know when confusion comes cuz you're not understanding you know you're not understanding why this is taking so long why you haven't seen what you're believing god for these all what that's revealing it'll 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 break you down it'll confuse you because what's happening is you're you're not looking at the promise anymore You're not looking at God, you're looking at the circumstances. You can never measure your faith by your circumstances. You can't measure your faith by how you feel. Smith Wigglesworth said, my faith is strongest when I feel the weakest. My faith is weakest when I feel the strongest. That's what he said. Yeah, interesting. He was called the apostle of faith in his day. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. So it says here, God will strengthen you. So if, it is, if you're hearing it, or seeing it, or experiencing it, or sensing it, and it's strengthening you, that's God. Satan will never do anything in your life to strengthen you. Does that make sense? So it, it goes on to say, I'll help you. If it's not helping you, it's not God. If it's helping you, it is God. Right? I'll uphold you with the right hand. Now this, the right hand is significant of the, literally the manifest power of God. The right hand of my righteousness. I'll uphold you. So given those three things, there's only one thing left for you and I to do. And that's just thank him. Because it's already done. Whatever you're believing God for, if you have God's word on it, It's already done. It's already yours. And we're going to win the faith battles so that we know. So let's go on a little bit with this. Let's go to John chapter 10, verse 10. And I want you to set your eyes on these scriptures, even though you've heard them before. John chapter 10 in verse 10. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you came tonight? I know I am I love this stuff man Growing in the Lord It says here this is Jesus Talking he said the thief comes Not but for To steal and to kill And to destroy I am come that they might Have life and have it more abundantly So you can say This if it steals If it kills or if it Destroys it is not From God if it gives you abundant life, that's from God. And, it's, and that's the God quality of life. So now go to James chapter 1 in verse 17. James chapter 1 in verse 17. Hallelujah. It says in James 1:17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So if it's good, if it's perfect, if it gives you abundant life, if it strengthens you, right? If it upholds you, if it, if it, if it does anything like these things, it's God. If it brings confusion, If it breaks you down, if it causes you to be confused, that is not God. Does that make sense? So so do you see how clear this is? There is no middle ground. We don't produce life through death. You don't bring peace through confusion, ever, right? Right? So, so we have to know these things. Now let's run over to Mark chapter 11 and let's, let's look at this a little bit. Let's start to go deeper into this. Mark chapter 11. These scriptures talk about the operation of faith. I love, I love this. Verse 22. Mark eleven twenty two says this. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Now, if you really think about it, this is, we have to understand this part of this, or we're not going to understand the operation of faith at all. It didn't say, get faith in God. It said, have faith. In God why because faith is not something you get faith is something you have okay you have to know this this is this is very foundational and I I was just thinking about it today I don't know if I've ever even said that you got to understand you have faith in God what does that mean you believe that you receive and you shall have it all kind of works together I have faith. Why? Because I heard God's word. First of all, I made a decision to put his word first place in my life. That gave me ears to hear. I, I came to myself and said, listen, he, he owns me. You know, you know the, his title is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the, the word Lord means ownership. When when a person is proclaiming to get saved, Jesus, you are my Lord. You You know what that person's saying? Jesus, you own me. That's what lordship is all about. You own me. You own my spirit. You own my soul, which is attached to my spirit. You own my body. You own everything I have. Boy, you live like that, and all of a sudden, on one level, you sit here and go, okay, well, obedience really follows that. Whatever he says do, I'll do. But then you go even deeper and then you start going, wait a minute. He owns me. That means nobody touches me unless they go through him and they can't go through him. That means he owns me. So if I do something stupid, but if I decide to repent and give it to him, he'll, he'll straighten it all out for me. I don't have to do that in my own strength. So have faith in God. And then he says this, for verily I say unto you. Now, this is, it's going to start to talk about the operation of faith. How you deal in your life in faith. It says here, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt. Now look at this, shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He'll have whatever he says. So the disclaimer is I have to believe in my heart and then speak out of my mouth what I believe in my heart. The disclaimer is I can't doubt in my heart. Why are you talking about this? Because if I doubt in my heart, then what I'm saying will not come to pass. So if I'm Satan, what do you think I'm going to want to do? I'm going to want to get you to doubt. Satan, and we're going to go to Ephesians 6, I believe. I know we are now. We're going to go to Ephesians 6 because it talks about the wiles of the devil. The road that the devil travels on. Remember that, that cartoon? I used to like it when I was a kid called The Roadrunner. Who was his enemy, right? Wiley Coyote. The wiles of the devil. The road of the devil. The way he comes at you. That coyote was all, he was just like Satan. Always coming at a believer. Always getting beat up. Right? wiles of the devil see the road that he travels down is to get you to doubt this is big because if he can get you to doubt then you'll never be able to lay hold of what God's already given you now what is the doorway into doubt That's a great question. I'm I'm glad you guys asked that because you got to really know that, right? The doorway to doubt is fear. So if you wanted to, if, if Satan had twins, he'd name one of them fear and the other one he'd name doubt. What is the purpose of the spirit of fear? Get you to doubt. Doubt who? Doubt who you are in Christ. Doubt what you have in him. Doubt who he is, right? This is the whole battle right here. So it says here that if you believe in your heart and you speak out of your mouth, you'll have whatever you say. And then in verse 24, we have the prayer of faith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them or believe that you seize hold of them and you shall have them. That's powerful, right? Go, hold, well, you don't have to hold your finger there. Run over to Matthew's account of this. Go to Matthew 21, I believe it's verse 22. Matthew 21, 22. I like the way it says, this says the same thing as Mark eleven twenty-four. 24. Matthew 21, 22. It says, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Right? Mark eleven twenty-four. 24, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive. So the believing part here is you believe that you receive and you'll have. Does does that, does that make sense? So you have to believe that you receive in order to have. But in order to believe, you have to hear God's word because that's how his faith comes to you. So go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. What are we talking about? We are going to, we're digging... A deep foundation to show you how to always win every faith battle. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In other words, faith comes when you hear, and, and really in the Greek language, language it reads, faith comes by hearing, and hearing By the words of Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. In other words, faith comes when the word of God in your heart starts speaking to you. The anointed word starts speaking to you. Faith is there. Faith causes you to believe in your heart, right? Which, what'll happen when you believe in your heart now you release your faith by speaking it out of your mouth and you will have what you say you believe that i i believe that i receive what god says he's already given me and i shall have it do you, do you see how this whole thing operates you guys and this is why we always got to be looking at it cuz this is how it works you have to go over and over it cuz it's so simple it's 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 too simple because if you have a sin consciousness, you're going, well, I, I, I got to deserve it to get it. I got I to gotta do something to get it. See, when we stand at the award ceremony, the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to stand up there. And all of a sudden, you're going to see this ball of fire. And you're going to be like, oh, man, here we go. All my works are going to be tried by fire. And then, boom, everything that you did with the wrong motive will be gone Never to be talked about again. God will never talk to you about it again. If, if after the judgment seat of Christ in heaven, you go, hey, you want can we talk about this? He'll be like, talk about what? Right? Only what you've done in faith, which means your faith mobile was full of, the, of a revelation that God loves you and you believed him. You believed that what he said was true in the midst of everything else. And you did it with a right heart. You did it in the right way. You were led by the Spirit of God. And what will be left is this precious jewels, that, that it, gold, silver, all this stuff that will be in a crown. It's called a victor's crown. And all of heaven is going to cheer. And this is what they're going to cheer. They're not going to cheer, Tony, Tony, for what I did. They're going to be cheering Jesus, Jesus, because he did it. See, this is the cool thing about this whole deal. I just got goosebumps on top of goosebumps in my spirit by saying that. See, this is why we live for him. Faith comes by hearing, hearing comes, I hear because I respect God and I put his word above everything and now I could hear his word and when I hear the sound of it, Faith is there. I'm now fully persuaded that what I can't see, what I can't feel, what I can't sense, it looks like there's no way, except he said he gave it to me. And I'm fully persuaded. Not that I'm going to get it, but that I have it. Does that make sense? And I know, I don't doubt in my heart, but when I, when I release my faith, he performs it, and I have it. Now, now, here's the thing. Now, this is when the ba- faith battle starts. Did you notice that Satan... See, we you, go watch a, a movie about it has anything to do with any kind of evil. The evil's always greater, more powerful, but in the end, by some miracle, good wins. You know, that's not the way it is. You you don't see Satan walking up to eat in the garden, smacking her around, going, eat the fruit. You know why? Because he couldn't. You see him lying, deceiving, to try to reason her out of what she already had. Because that's the only way he can do it. Do you know that's how he does it with you? He'll come to you and go, hey, do you notice? You've been believing God for your knee, but your knee doesn't feel better. Actually, it's getting worse. And you, you know, and all this stuff. He's trying to reason you out. And he'll use circumstances, he'll use, he'll use MRIs, he'll use doctors, foremost authority, everything. And he'll sit on your shoulder and just go, you know, I wonder why God's not healing you. Somehow it's probably your fault, but what he's trying to do is reason you out. Of what he's already given you. And this is where most of the body of Christ is. Because if you believe. That God in any way. Is doing evil. You can't have faith. And that's where most of the body of Christ is. People will sit. In their religious chair. And say well you know. His ways are higher than my ways. And that's about as close as they get to quoting a scripture. And you feel like just going, you know, did you not read the next verse? It says he reveals them. Oh, we don't want to hear that. Because it's not my fault. I asked God to heal me if it was his will and I didn't get healed, so it's, it must be his fault. Or it's not his will. And that's just ignorance. Because we have to, we can only know the will of God by what his word says. Don't, don't minimize God and bring him down to your level based on what you believe, based on your circumstances. No, get in his word, submit to his word, let the Holy Spirit teach you and reveal you. It's very clearly laid out what he's given us. This whole thing about, well, you just, you know, you just can't really tell, that's, that's being, that's being um, spoken by people who've never studied the word. Because no, no, you can. It has to work from Genesis to Revelation. And these doctrines work all the way through the Bible. He is good. His mercy endures forever. It's and and then when you just go to the four gospels, you see it all. You can see how God is by looking at Jesus. It's amazing. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So now let's go to another scripture. I'm just kind of throwing this out there. The reason why we're dealing with this is because Satan wants to get you to doubt. So now go to Ephesians 6 because we got to show a little bit how he does this. Ephesians 6. Verse 10. This is a huge one. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren. Now in a book... Paul's last letter written to the church. He wrote a couple other letters to pastors, Timothy and Titus, but this was the last letter that he wrote to the church. It was a circulatory letter. It was to be read in all the churches. It's, it's like it was read to faith family church, just every church, every Christian. And then this, this phrase, finally, my brethren, it, this, this six chapters in Ephesians is so full of doctrine. It's amazing. It's like Paul took an aerial view and then just laid out the whole Pauline revelation in, one, in six little chapters. But he said in chapter six, he said, finally, my brethren, which in the Greek it would read like this, now to the most important thing that I'm going to say. If you don't get anything else, get this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. This is how we read this. I, with my strength, need to be strong in the Lord. But that's not what it's saying. Being strong in the Lord is you abandoning your strength most people that are trying to be strong in the lord this is what they're really doing i know this very well i've done it when i say it you'll go oh yeah i've done that when you're trying to do it in yourself what you really when you really get down to it and the word will reveal this to you you're trying to feel like you're strong but being strong in the lord is literally relying on his strength it's literally see it's it's depending completely on i'm going to be strong when i am in the lord so i am always going to be a position if you look at the greek language it says be continually strengthened inwardly in the lord So it's almost like this. I'm going to keep myself plugged in. I'm like a power tool. I got to keep myself plugged in. The New Testament talks about it, and Jesus talked about it, said, I'm the vine and you're the branch. You got to be attached to the branch if you're a vine, because you can't do anything if you're not attached to the branch, right? You just lay there and people walk all over you. No, no, no. You got to be attached, so be continually strengthened inwardly in the Lord. See, this is where most of the body of Christ is living with some of these things. So they'll say this. Okay, so here, here we have a person that, you know, we're, we're just, we're telling people, okay, now listen, we're having, we're having a youth sleepover. So here's, you know, here's Pastor Mark, here's Teresa, here's Alicia, we're having a youth, you know, you know, a youth sleepover here. Now... Um, we, we, we don't want you to go outside. We want you to stay in the building. And we definitely don't want you to get up on the roof. <laughs> right? And so what happens is, is, is the brilliant young people, you know, we've all been there, and you think, you're just thinking, yeah, well, that's no problem. Then all night you're thinking about, man, that'd be kind of cool getting up on that roof. <laughs> right? And so pretty soon, you know, you, you, you have a techie person with you and you go over there and where the alarm was on arm stay, you just disarm it real quick. And then so people don't know and then, and then when, when they're all in there jamming to some music and they can't hear the door ding, we go outside and then we climb up on the roof. We have a ladder, so we climb up on the roof and we're walking on the roof and one, one kid falls and he lands wrong and he breaks his leg. And now this is an example of, of what so many Christians believe. And this is, this is, they're like, well, God allowed it because, you know, he, he formed gravity. He, he put that law in existence. Yeah, he put gravity in existence to keep us on the planet. He didn't put gravity in existence to break that person's leg. As a matter of fact, he tried to warn them. Don't get on the roof. Don't walk over there, you know, because what you don't see is that little pipe sticking up that everybody trips over and you, you, right? So we blame God. We got to get away from all this. Does that make sense? Well, you know, God allowed it because he formed gravity. So it's, no, 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 you, you can't grow. You can't ever walk by faith if you're like that. And I know that sounds weird, but this is where a lot of people are. Right? So let's, let's look at this. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So now, hold your finger here because we're going to come back here. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to show you an example of this. So 2 Corinthians, go to chapter 12. It's about verse 7. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Is this helping you a little bit? We're, we're kind of laying a foundation. If we don't get through it, we'll, come, we'll get more into it next week on this one principle, because you've got to know your enemy. Chapter 12, let me make sure. Yeah. Verse 7 says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations..." So Paul is saying, God gave me all these revelations, "...and so that I wouldn't be exalted above measure..." There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. That means blow after blow after blow. Now, if you want to know more about the thorn in the flesh, I taught like three hours on it. It's on our website. We're not going to go into that. Lest I should be exalted above measure. So there was was a messenger of Satan came to buffet Paul to try to stop him from being exalted above measure, what that, what that Greek phrase is, is to go beyond the normal mark, to go further than a man should be able to go in his lifespan, basically. So Satan is just trying to stop him. So verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now this word it is translated he in the Greek. I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Verse 9, look at what God said. And he said to me, no. No, he didn't say no, right? He said, my grace is, present tense, sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Then he said this, Therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, now this Greek word means weaknesses, not sicknesses, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. See, people fail because they feel weak and they think they're weak because they feel weak. Just because you might feel weak, you might feel out of control. Listen, a lot of that is your flesh just needs to see. But it doesn't mean you are weak. Because see... When your strength ends, his begins. So when you are at your weakest, you're at your strongest. But you might feel weak. Smith Wigglesworth said, man, my faith was never stronger than when I felt weak. But when I felt weak, or when I felt strong, my faith was at its weakest point. This is why. So don't, why why did I even come here? Well, because the Holy Spirit wanted me to. But... The reason why is because don't go by your feelings. Your feelings cannot measure your faith. So now jump back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And let's, we're going to see a little bit about the devil's operation. So kind of all this has been introductory to get to this point. It says here in verse 11. Well, I'll just read verse 10 again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on means, it's a Greek word in duo, it literally means allow the whole armor of God. In the literal Greek it would say, allow the whole armor of God to manifest upon you as you continually draw from his power. So that, you would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the wiles, this word wiles, it literally means to travel down one road, one way. He comes at every one of us the same way. You've heard me say this a lot. One road, one way for all of us. We know the enemy's attack. What road is it? He's trying to get you to doubt. How does he do that? His name reveals it. Right? It's the word diabolos in the Greek. Dia means he wants to penetrate through to the other side of something so that he can obelos. Or how how he does, how he penetrates through is by obelos, the rest of that name, by throwing something blow after blow after blow. From other scriptures we learn that he throws thoughts blow after blow after blow to penetrate your mind so that he could play mind games and deceive you, get you to doubt. This is why Paul said you have to take every thought captive to the obedience of the word of God. Right? Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians real quick. Chapter 2, verse 11. Let's go here real quick. You know, actually, before we go there, let me read the rest of this. So that we'll be able to stand before the, uh, against the wild of the devil. Notice we're standing against it. We're standing. So, so here I am. I'm, I'm standing. Against means face to face. The enemy can't sneak around my back. As, as I'm in the word, the word will always keep me ahead of him. Okay. Stand against the wiles of the devil. And then look at this. Let's go here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're never going to be wrestling against people. Even though it will feel, look, hear. Sometimes it's so bad you could even taste it. That, that it's people who are coming against you, but they're never your enemy. You could love them, but you take authority because you realize I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood, but I am wrestling against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world spiritual wickedness in high places this is a satanic hierarchy that has already been completely defeated so this is the hierarchy that comes against us to try to get us to doubt they're the ones throwing the thoughts they they don't have the authority to kick your door down and come destroy your life they don't have any authority and whatever they've stolen from you in the past they got to bring it back if you make them I just think that's hilarious. You just gotta go. You see this little principality? Spiritual wickedness <laughs> in high places, right? So if you ever wanna go to a seminar that talks about the 12 levels of spiritual deception and all the different, they wanna tell you names of this, this spirit, this demons against this and that, just smile and say no thanks. Because you don't need to know all their names. You just need to know one name. That's the name of Jesus. And know that you're far above them, Okay? But this is who you wrestle against. And then it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, which is the word of God, why, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And then it says this, And having done all to stand, stand. So that tells me we must prepare to Stand the Holy Spirit will always be leading you to prepare you for the next battle. Right? You're getting things tonight that you're going to need tomorrow. This is why the word has to be fresh. The anointing, you you need to live in this environment because you got to be prepared because in this life, you're going to have battles. The evil day, I mean, today, what? It's the 2nd of January. Tomorrow, it'll be the 3rd of January, right? But don't worry about it. You've already, see, Jesus said, listen, I've already overcome the world. The battle was his. He won it. The victory's mine. And and my father always caused me to triumph. So the thing you're facing that seems so big and bad, that feels hopeless, don't buy into that, that makes you maybe feel like you're weak, just rejoice, because when you're weak, man, that's when you're at your strongest. You can't be defeated because you've already won the victory. Could you imagine? After a Super Bowl, they name the Super Bowl champ. And then on the way home, Satan's sitting on their shoulder going, yeah, you really didn't win. That, that sounds silly. That's exactly the way it is with you and I. Wherever you're at in your life, you already won. You already have the victory. It's all right there. And you don't ever have to let go of it. And if you get in faith and stay in faith, it's impossible for you not to see it in this realm. So everything you're believing God for is already yours. So don't let it go. And we're going to go through all these principles because we're going to really look at them, right? This is a huge, huge, huge thing. So let me read this again. Wherefore, take unto you, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. So now run over to Second Corinthians. I'm not going to get super far in this. Second Corinthians chapter two. Let's. I'm, I just want to take my time on this because this is so important. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse eleven. Talking about the wiles of the devil, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says this, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The word devices is the Greek word mada. It means his mind games, his mind schemes. We're, we need to realize how he works. He wants to penetrate your mind with thoughts. So you can't take thoughts. You have to put them all through the filter of the word. So that means you better be careful who you're walking, standing, and sitting around. You want to be careful what your environment you're in. Because I'm telling you, if you start going down a wrong way, it's so subtle, pretty soon you'll start speaking wrong thoughts. And then he, once you start taking those thoughts, things will become really confusing. We're gonna see something, and it might be until next week when we see it. When God asks you a question, it is always connected with him revealing a truth to you that will will bring life into your life. When Satan comes, we're gonna see the way he operates. He always comes with questions. Always. You gotta be careful because he'll bring questions to you to divide you from everyone who can help you. Every place that could help you. He'll, in church, there are people that can't last in church very long. Because the enemy will sit there on their shoulder and because they've entertained it before, they'll sit there and go, well, did you notice that Pastor Tony has never come up and given you a hug? Never. He doesn't really care about you and this and that. And then you'll run into somebody that left the church and is just mad as a hornet at me for something. And then they'll talk to you. and And pretty soon you'll be like, wow, you know, he seems like such a nice guy. But, you know, yeah, maybe. It'll cause a questioning always. It's not... Ever against a person, though, Satan always ultimately will get you to question your Heavenly Father. He'll always get you to question his word. We're going to see this, his devices, his noemata. It's how he comes. So I think what I'm going to do, it's 8.13. Let's just go to Hosea chapter 4. So in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea four six, and I am going to go to one more scripture, so I know that now. But we'll do this quick. It says, "My people are destroyed." It's the Hebrew word dama. It means to be silenced, cut off, and then destroyed. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, and this is the Greek or the Hebrew word darat for a lack of discernment. Discernment is a Holy Spirit word. He he opens the word so you can see it and know it. It says, my people are silenced because they don't have revelation knowledge of my word. That's what it's saying. If you'll notice, when you don't have revelation knowledge of the word of God, you can't speak it. You will only set, you're created to say what you see. Satan knows this. That's why he wants to build vain imaginations in your mind, to build a picture of your life outside of what God's word says, because if you see that picture, you'll start talking about it. Well, maybe it's not God's will that I be healed. Maybe this is my cross to bear. Maybe this, maybe that, whatever. And God doesn't want any of that in your life. He doesn't want any of that in your life. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We can go on, but for time's sake, I want to I read a story real quick to you out of Matthew 14. Go to Matthew 14. Hallelujah. I want to I show you an example of this. Matthew chapter 14, I believe... Starts in verse 22. This is the story about Peter walking on the water. Okay? We're going to be nice to Peter. Because in reality, the guy... I mean, you go to Jerusalem, and you see the big church of St. Peter. What does it have on the on the very top of it? A rooster. Poor guy. I mean, you know, okay, he denied Jesus three times. But he came out really doing good. I mean, you know, he... Be- But they still have the rooster up there. So we're not going to talk about Peter, you know. I mean, he's the only one, I think, in history that ever began to sink. I mean, have you ever stepped into a pool and began to sink? You don't begin to sink. You just sink, right? You go directly to sink. So he's doing pretty good. But look at this. So straightway, Jesus, verse 22, constrained his disciples to get into a ship to go before him and to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So Jesus sends him. He's still on the land. Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So now get the picture. Jesus is praying on land. They're in the midst of the sea. And, and the boat is being tossed with waves. So Peter's in this boat that's being taught. There's there's wind, b- there's water blowing in his face, there's waves, all this stuff's going on, right? Then in the fourth night, let me find it again, verse 25, and in the fourth watch, that means 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Right now, why did Jesus walk on the sea? Well, we know. Jesus did everything his father did. And Job 9.8 says that God loves to tread upon the sea. I think that's cool. I think one of these days I'm going to ask my father, hey, can I go walking on the sea with you? He'll smile and go, I love you. Yeah, let's do it. Right? I did that just... Anyway, I love that. Excuse me, I just had a, a father moment. Verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea... So could you imagine? So there's waves... Jesus is walking up and down the waves, and they're seeing him. They see him walking on the sea. They were troubled, saying, it's a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway, or that in the Greek it means at once, Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So Jesus is immediately saying, hey, it's not a spirit, you know, they all... Fishermen believed on the sea. If they saw a spirit, they they were going to die. So he's like, no, 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 no. It's me, guys. Right? So as soon as they said that, Peter, no doubt, remembers when Jesus went to him and said, Peter, follow me. Peter would have known that a rabbi who says follow me means he wants me to be his disciple what that meant in the Jewish culture in the Galilean region, that meant when a rabbi said, follow me, it, it meant he looked at this young man and he looked at him and said, I know that this young man can do what I do. Not just know what I know, but can do what I do. It was, that was all about the fact. So that's why Peter came. Because he's like, Jesus? If, I mean, he, he, he talks before he thinks, but he got so excited. He heard the word of God, go to the other side, and now he's saying... Jesus, if that is you, bid me to come to you on the water. Because Jesus, you said, follow me. That means you believe I can do what you do. So I want to walk on the water. It'll separate. finally separate me from John. You know, the guy's faster than I am, whatever, right? So, so what happens next? And so he, he says here, what does Jesus say? We have the word of God. And verse 29 says, and he said, Come. So now we have the word of God. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now think about this. He's in a boat for hours because it's between 3 and 6 a.m. So they've been in this boat probably for hours while Jesus is praying. And the boat's going all over the place because of wind and waves. So when Peter climbs out of the boat, I mean, he's climbing on waves. He's probably being sprayed with water. But he's looking at Jesus. He's just so excited. And he's walking to Jesus. But then all of a sudden, he saw something. But when he saw the wind boisterous. You've been seeing the wind boisterous for hours, Peter. So... When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. So what happened, and this is, see, what happened is Satan is sitting on his shoulder. And when he, when he had his eyes on Jesus, he's not listening to the enemy. Do, do you see this? Because he's got a word, come. But the minute... He, start, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he puts it on the wind. I mean, everybody knows you can't walk on liquid water if the wind's blowing. How stupid is that, <laughs> right? But I mean, but that's how it is. See, Satan got him, he reasoned him out. He used circumstances to reason him out of his blessing. When he saw the wind boisterous, He began to sink. He cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, said to him, O thou of little faith. It's it's the Greek word, O thou of puny faith. Now you're thinking, well, now wait a minute. Faith like a grain of the mustard seed. I could say to this mountain, be removed. No, no, you got to understand the Greek language. What puny faith means, it literally means a short burst of faith. So Peter had faith, but it was just a short burst. And when he got his eyes off Jesus on the winds, faith was no longer there and he started beginning to sink. Could you imagine? All the disciples are like, he's he's just starting to lower himself down in the water. At least he was smart enough. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you're sinking and and you're under the water and you see, you see the word, and you don't cry out. And the Holy Spirit's going, cry out. Right? I mean, I've done that. And you're like, but then finally, like, right? And then he grabs you and pulls you up. But but short burst of faith. Wow, I don't know where that stuff comes from. It says, Wherefore did you doubt? This word doubt means Why did you waver mentally? See, he got out of what he believed in his heart and he started wavering mentally. We need to talk about this because here is the deal. You got to know your enemy. He is a master at getting people to doubt. This is why you literally, how how do you deal with fear? I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going a little bit long you have to call it out by name. You get afraid of something, you need to say, Fear? I resist you in the name of Jesus because I don't have a spirit of fear. My spirit is filled with power, love, and I have a sound mind. Now I bind you in the name of Jesus. If you don't do that, all of a sudden, man, you're going to start doubting because you're just allowing that door to open and you're walking in the doubt ballroom. Right? Right? So we're going to learn about this. We want to know our enemy. That's the first principle. Amen.